Hey, welcome back to Permission to Be. This is part two of our conversation with Cedric Lundy. And just as a reminder, we talk about some really, um, I'm going to say gruesome. Yeah, gruesome things on this episode. Um, and rightly so. Uh, often the experience of black and indigenous bodies in our histories are gruesome in here on the Permission to Be podcast, uh, our goal, our intention is to be truth tellers in those histories. And so with that, we hope you enjoy part two of our conversation with Cedric Lundy. Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. <laughs> what do we do? Back to, like, go to town on some questions. Yeah. Like, let's tell some stories. The elevator pitch I've got for it is how to live a good life while your whole life falls apart. Mm. Okay. Out of, uh, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Challenge some narratives. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, yeah. and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, you all are killing it. Unfiltered. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my, my my literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> racism is, it can't be overt. It doesn't work if it's overt. Yeah. It will allow and actually look for some collateral damage. It will find the white people it deems expendable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was talking to somebody about and trying to demonstrate that concept. I posted a thread on Twitter and I was basically explaining how Mitch McConnell's refusal to even hear Obama's uh, Supreme Court nominee was, wasn't just how racist it was. Like, (laughs) like, it was interpersonally racist. It was systemically racist. Like this man in one of the highest seats of power to deny him something that's supposed to be enshrined as his right, as his uh, his power. And then to turn back around no less and then say, oh, we're going to have this hearing. Right. And this person tried to say, well, that they would have done that regardless of who the person was. And I was like, well, that you fundamentally misunderstand how racism then functions if you can't if you only look at it at interpersonal instances of racism and not in systems right we can't look at what was what happened was a black man was in office and prohibited from exercising his power the way that all the white man's before him right Mm -hmm. it was unprecedented unprecedented right and so we always have this notion of, of racism as this evil insidious thing and like you dem- like you demonstrated earlier like you talked about is these covert policies social media policy <laughs> it's built into the systems to gain your complicity to gain your silence mm-hmm. yep 
And like, <laughs> oh man, here's the here's the question that I I asked on Facebook recently, and it'd be kind of con- considering, right? Because one of my quote friends in a discussion was saying how he doesn't believe that racism is the main problem. He said he believes that the divide between right and left, conservative and liberal, is the biggest divide that we have in this country. Now, here was the batshit crazy part about it. He's saying this as though it is the main issue that we should all be seeking to resolve. And he is is bringing forth the name of Jesus and our shared identity as Christ followers, right, to basically say that this is the main issue and the thing is brothers in Christ that we actually may be united around. And I'm like, bro, I literally unfollowed you because all you post is libs gonna live. (laughs) You feed into that divide. Cause like you hate liberals. And I was like, wait a minute. He hates liberals so much that he unwittingly get unwittingly gets co-opted into racism. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's and it just, happens time and time again. Right. Mm-hmm. Here's the crazy part. Who's co-opting who? Is the racist co-opting the, the, the people that hate liberals or are the, lib- the people that hate liberals co-opting racists? Or are they just the same people? Yeah. I mean, I think if anything, the last four years have made that line much more unclear. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because like, I know people who they're not, and you know me, I don't, I don't go by the pop culture definition of racism. It's not, oh, I don't like people because they're a different race than me. Like that's so played out and stupid. That's bigotry. That's what that is. That's not racism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Preach on it now. Right. <laughs> he already has y'all. Go go and listen. <laughs> Racism is just the collection of policies, practices, thoughts, ideas, and behaviors that reinforce white dominance and superiority. That's all it is. Hmm. So you don't have to hate nobody in order to reinforce those things or, or, or sometimes practice those things. So all a racist is is someone who has a pattern yes. of supporting those policies doing those practices and behaviors whether they realize they're doing it or not it doesn't make them inherently bad evil people but because of the way we painted racism into a corner of being depraved right especially christians have a hard time with anyone telling them that anything they did is remotely racist right right but here's the kicker they got no problem hating liberals. Beyond the thing where Jesus says to love your enemies, they got no problem hating liberals. Right? Yeah. Like white evangelicalism of the last basically 100 years has been built on hating liberals. Okay? Well, if you can label somebody a Pharisee, then you've got permission to hate them. But see, they're not even Pharisees. Like, Oh, the, they're not. I'm not saying they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, but I'm just saying that analogy of they take something out of context from the scripture right. and say, well, these were the Pharisees doing, this is a Pharisee action. This is, you know, so mm-hmm. I have the right to respond in the manner I'm responding 
because right. I've seen their actions to fall under subjugation of what I've seen from the scripture. And that's where Trump comes in. He hates their enemies for them, so they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With all that said, I feel like we would be remiss not to spend some time talking about Breonna Taylor and recent events and Mm -hmm. the election and what these things symbolize for this moment Mm -hmm. in time that we find ourselves in. Yep. So for me, I just, I see this as a time of, man, I need to show up for black women right now. And I, and in some ways I'm just like the, the nearest thing that I know how to do that is to vote my ass off (laughs) to get this horrific person uh, out of the seat of power. But, and I know that there's more and and I am doing more, Mm -hmm. but my heart right now, just hearing um, the breakdown from so many other perspectives, especially Mm -hmm. black women about, what this continues to enshrine and codify and what it has always enshrined the, the, the value of, of black life and not just black life, black women's lives in this country. Um, juxtaposing that with, I just feel so exhausted of late yeah. <laughs> to, to hear this verdict. First, let's unpack the verdict um, <laughs> for people who haven't heard uh Anybody who wants to do, anybody has some thoughts on that. The thing that has shocked me, so one person is going to jail, but the kicker for me that this person isn't going. Is he going to jail? Not not going to jail. One person got indicted. So whatever that process is. Yeah, charge, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm making fun of that because it's ridiculous. Uh, See, he has a warrant out. A warrant was supposedly issued for this one person. It would be that is the legal process. There were zero indictments, but what they indicted him on is more offensive than if they hadn't indicted him at all. They indicted this dude. I can't. I can't. I just can't. I'm going there. They indict. Let's turn back the clock for a second. I can't remember the names and the deets of the story, but you guys remember the story about from like five, six years ago of this black couple that was suspected of something. There was this big, long chase, right? And during the chase, these two people crashed and one of the police officers literally jumped up on the hood of the car and shot like 40 rounds into the car. Okay. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I, this is new to me. This is new to me. Okay. Like, right. Like, okay. He, <laughs> he wasn't charged. One charged for yeah. like being reckless, endangerment, wanton endangerment. Right. Cause the only people that got hit was the car and the people in it. Justine Dorman in Minneapolis, not one year after Philando Castile. Hears some noise outside, believes someone might be breaking into her apartment, calls police. The police pull up in the alley adjacent to her apartment building. She comes down to meet them in the dark. They don't see her, but they've been called on a possible break-in. And she comes up alongside of the car. And Muhammad Moore, the Mm -hmm. officer sitting the passenger side, 
was afraid that it was somebody who was about to like just come, you know, snuck up on their blind side, might do something to his partner. Both of them were scared. His partner even said in court they were both fearful for their lives for a minute, which has been like the magic words to get off with murder for police officers. Right? I was scared. I feared for my life. He pulled out his gun. He shot one round. Hitter realizes that, you know, gets out of the car, checks to see. This woman ain't got nothing on her. She's in her pajamas. And what does he do? He immediately performs CPR and tries to save her. Calls in an ambulance, right? How many times have we seen black people get shot by the police and they let their they bodies They just fucking rot. stand there. They just fucking stand there. And let them rot in the sun and die for hours. Let them bleed out in the street. This dude, an American Somalian, black guy, he calls them, gets them there right away to perform CPR, literally tries to save her life. He got 12 and a half years. Of course, he did. Other officers in a car chase, right? Car chase, similar to the, the one that I just told a second ago, which, by the way, the two passengers were black. The police officer who jumped up on the hood of the car and fired over 40 rounds was white. This time, the car chase, right? This guy is evading the cops. There's a firefight. They fire shot into the car. When they come into the car, over to the car, they realize, which there's no way they could have seen it and known, there's a five-year-old in the back seat. And they shot and killed the, the five-year-old unknowingly, not even knowing he was in the car. I remember that. Yep. One of the officers got 40 years. The other got six. 40 years. And the other one got six. What was the race of the two people in the car, including the white child? Oh, I just said it. They were white. What was the color of the officer? <laughs> they were black. Of course they were. Right? So we got a case where these officers already have the guy that they have the warrant for in custody. They come in the night when people are sleeping. Banging on the door. None of the other 11 witnesses who lived in the apartment building said they heard any kind of knock or asking for someone to open the door. They just started trying to kick in the door. So her boyfriend gets up with his firearm. And how many times? And he has a Second Amendment right. Right. Going full circle. Going full circle. How many times have we seen white school children be collateral for them to be able to maintain their unquestioned right to own and carry a firearm in their second amendment rights. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. So here's a black man exercising his second amendment right to defend his home. Fires one shot, hits the officer in the leg with the one shot and the three of them proceed to rein in gunfire into that apartment, killing Brianna Taylor. The two officers whose bullets actually hit her, no charges. The officer- 46 rounds. Right. 46 rounds. The officer who didn't even hit her, tow up the drywall, he gets an indictment. Not for her. Her name doesn't even get a mention in the indictment. Nope. Nope. For the neighbors- 
for possibly endangering the neighbors. Like, again, it would have been less offensive, less of a just absolutely shitting on the dignity of black people if they had just gave no indictment to all three of them, to indict the one dude that actually didn't even hit her. It is literally a big fuck you to black women. There is no other way. Oh, but the attorney general was black. That's what I've gotten. The attorney general was black. I've heard that. From no, no, people. no, no. Yo, I've, 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 I've heard it too. It's like, hey, look, yo, black people, like, hello, racism. It's a hell of a drug. It's a hell of a drug, right? And like assimilating into whiteness and being accepted, right? And like, again, black people been saying this for years, for years. NWA said it. Ice Cube said it. Oftentimes, the black people within the justice system are the worst. Yeah. So, and I just want to piggyback off of that, right? Because there's a direct line in that, in this saying of law and order. And so, when we understand race beyond an interpersonal exercise, right? And we begin to see it as this systemic advantage and the systemic tool in which we use to, to, to keep advantage for, for white people, people deemed white. Black people are not immune to that. And the laws in which we are charged to uphold and protect are racist. Right. When, when we look at the statutes that they are applying, they, and we look at these things like applied or, or, or whatever, some whatever immunity that they, they, that they talk about, mm-hmm that police officers carry. Right. And we make it under this guise or this excuse of, well, we have a dangerous job. <laughs> we can we can capture... Their dangerous job equates to a dangerous life for a lot of black folks. Right. We can capture serial killers alive and, well, get them Burger King. But yet in this institution of no knock warrant, which is further designed to violate constitutional rights. <laughs> right. And so they're like, well, we, we now have a policy of no knock warrants, but at every level, all of this, all the shit that enabled her life to no longer be here, to be present on this earth was systemic. hundred percent. Something that we sanctioned. Yeah. That we supported yes. in our institutions. When we talk about supporting systems of policing, we sanctioned that we paid for that. Yes. Right. I I, I just want to hit on something that you just said there, right? Where we're we're talking about law and order and who are criminals and and all this kind of stuff and the picture of like thugs and all that kind of stuff. We've been celebrating white criminals for I don't know how long. Going back to Billy the Kid, we we have been immortalizing Billy the Kid, Al Capone, John Dillinger, all them gangsters, all them white gangsters from the 1920s. Bonnie and Clyde. Pull up your Netflix cube. M- mafia. We love the mafia. Right? We've been, we have been, we have been painting a picture where even white criminals and thugs are heroes. I mean, right? Yeah. And all the p- police officers, they can't catch them. Why? Because they don't take shortcuts around the law. How many shortcuts did Louisville Police Department take to murder 
her. And how many shortcuts and straight up cheats do they take to try to cover it up? Yeah. Sloppy all around. Just disregard. No, slop, sloppy my ass. <laughs> my, my daughter is sloppy, okay? My daughter say, is sloppy drinks his water. Okay? Like, I get a little sloppy sometimes when I'm tired. Like, people get sloppy when they're drunk. It ain't yeah. sloppy if you do it on purpose. It is not sloppy if it is intentional and meticulous methods of misleading people to get a desired result. Amen. You strike on something. And it's not me. Yeah. No, no, you strike on something so important in terms of how even how we use language to talk about this and the, the narrative that language puts around this. We have to start right. looking at these for what it is. This mm-hmm. was intentional. Right. This, this, this was the system working the way the system is designed to work. And so, yeah, racism surely is a tool. And of course, we need to be tackling capitalism within that. But we can't, unless we're actually willing to look at racism and own the insidiousness, insidiousness of it, own the evil that it is uh, to prop up things like capitalism, own how it operates in patriarchy, like, we have to talk about all those things if we are actually to create a world that could be. We have to look honestly at the world that is. Mm-hmm. And the world as is, is that we don't value black women. We don't value black bodies. We don't value black trans women. No. <laughs> These lives are disposable. Right. They, they are, because... We have also reached a point in the history of America where they can't commodify black women like they used to. Say that. Mm-hmm. They can't commodify black women like they used to. So in this country, this is something that somebody recently kind of planted in my mind and it's just been rolling around there and I've been thinking about it. But black women have typically only been given two options of how to exist in this world, in this country. They either gotta be the strong black woman, right? Mm. Right, because it took a strong black woman to raise Massa's kids, right? Yep. The mammy, she was strong, right? Yep. Nobody, no, no, no one was bothered by the way Mammy talked to Scarlett. Because you needed a strong black woman, right? Because Scarlet gets to be weak, but not Manny, not black. People don't even think about how dehumanizing that concept is, especially when we glorify like these warlords, uh, people who conquered and conquest. And it's like, oh, they they were able to do this and they were able to turn off their emotions and do X, Y, Z. It's like, no, that's not a good thing. That's not something we should aspire to be. If that's what strong is, I don't want that because it forces me us to turn off our humanity. And this is what you're glorifying in black women. Stop calling them strong and honor their dignity and their humanity as flesh and blood, as humans feeling sentient beings. Right, or, or, or here's an idea. They can be strong. They can be encouraged and celebrated when they show strength but they should also have permission to be weak. Amen. Amen. And then the other caricature or option that they have 
is to be, and excuse my my language of here of how I'm going to phrase it, it's intentional. It's not that I believe it, but, or they a hoe, which the lineage of the hoe or the top goes back to the black Jezebel, which goes back to the black woman who was coerced into being masses mistress slash sex slave. And so now, right, I'm I'm really about to go there right now. I, Let's I'm do it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Cuties. Wimp. Oh Jesus. <laughs> right. That's that's been something I've chosen not to weight down, but please educate the audience so that I don't have to touch Look, it. I've avoided right this one. I've avoided this one. And this is all I'm gonna say. Okay. We got a lot of people responding to it, by the way, quote unquote, the young girls were being hypersexualized in, in this in this movie, which the writer and directors come out and said that the whole premise of the movie was an exploration of how, again, young girls, ironically, the young black girl live in this tension as they go from childhood to young womanhood of having to be this strong woman right? Who can do everything for everybody or be hypersexualized and how they get caught up in this game of having to be one or the other. And they never actually get the choice to actually be who they are or shown other options. That's what the movie was supposed to be about. But because it was unapologetic in the way it presented that tension that young girls unfortunately have to live in, in particular young women of color, you have people canceling Netflix, right? Now, I'm not judging them canceling Netflix. If they want to cancel Netflix over it, cool. Here's my thing. Where were y'all during all these pageant shows that did the same thing to young white girls and they still got to be kids? Mm-hmm. And how many TV shows ran showing that life that world oh it was cute it was oh my gosh look at them in their makeup look at them in their dresses look at (laughs) and here's the key when they get older they still have the choice to be something else but black women only got two choices be the strong black woman or be the hoe and it wasn't anything uh, you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of the uh, the response to the super bowl halftime show Couple oh, years yeah. ago, Katy Perry. Oh, that was great. Look at Katy Perry out there. What a what a show. I just really, you know, I just love that song and the floats and da 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 da. Lady Gaga. Oh, I love it. Da, 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 da. Madonna. Oh, doesn't she look great? And for, I, I, I hope I look like that when I'm darn near 50, 60. Beyonce. It's just too political. Too political. And those outfits. And then when it was Shakira and Jay, yeah. remind you, they're brown women. They are brown women. Hypersexual. Too sexualized. Too sexualized. Yeah. How do they let that be on 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 the halftime show? I'm like, look, if you had a problem with it, cool. But even before that, like the you didn't have a problem when it was these white women. Do you see yeah. how you have been taught how to think about this in a racialized way without even mm-hmm. naming it? Mm-hmm. Janet Jackson's nip, nip slip. Right. And so... Like, that was a particularly egregious. Justin Timberlake had no repercussions from that. None. No, zero. <laughs> to this day. Exactly. Well, because 
The white performers remind us that we can be powerful white women and we can put forth and it makes us feel good. And we can't see ourselves in a person of color. Right. Because that's not centering us. Right. And you're just having fun and performing. It's not who you are. Right. Of course. And, and young white girls, they can choose to be something else. But young black girls watching don't have a choice. They have to be one or the other. They can't be anything else in between. Well, I need you to be a strong black woman so I can be fragile. That's really what it is. Right. But again, I need you to I need you to hold it together. Right. But but I, I'm starting to think, Becca, that it's much more insidious than that. It just goes back to our past. It's not about I need you to hold it together. It's just that this is who we've said you can be and you don't get to be anything else. You, It goes right back to the fact that we never reckoned the fact that like this was going on in the help. This is the same depiction we depicted in the help. Right. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. yeah. It goes back to our conversation with Dr. Shaniqua when we talked mm-hmm. about, you know, this role of women being demure. And as soon as that role stops working for them, oh, dear God, it's, it's ugly. It, it's, <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I'm, you know, I, I'm not convinced either. It, it's about, oh, oh, poor me, I'm fragile. I'm as much as I'm convinced that that's an act. <laughs> and it's taught mm-hmm. to get. To manipulate. To manipulate, yeah. To manipulate. And, and it's disgusting. Right. It's how the tears are used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's like I have very, again, finding myself in a very tense place of recognizing where women sit in society, mm-hmm. but to recognize the tools in which they use to hold on to power, uh, the, how they weaponize their tears to play victim like I really I have no sympathy for it as I've continued just to watch it unfold and and for innocence to continue to to feign innocence and ignorance and it's a choice it's true it truly is a choice can you call it fragile at this point when we are making these conscious choices uh, and we are raising people up in these same ways we're raising girls up in these same ways to to be fragile in these ways to get what they want and so and i think it does the larger conversation of feminism a complete disservice and so feminism must for that reason be intersectional it needs to be always thinking about women of color black women leading those conversations because of that very that white women are, are have been the second most empowered to, to benefit from these privileges mm-hmm. and, and continue to to feign this innocence to hold on to power mm-hmm. well and I would not even define because I know most women in my circles will say I'm not fragile I'm strong and I would say the same thing about myself but I think the fragility comes when the fragility of who we think we are, we're not really sold on who we think we are. We don't really believe that deep down. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I don't believe in who I think I am, that's when the manipulation shows up because I have to reinforce who I am. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to get women's rights to vote, I want my black sisters to come along as long as we can get white women to vote. You know, when women's rights to vote wasn't, it wasn't for everybody. And there is definitely, we need, when we talk about mammal culture, it's more, 
it's not the fragility holding up the fragility of who because we're fragile it's reminding us that we're wonderful hmm. yeah and i just have no patience for it anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh i yeah it's it's bullshit but yeah. Well, and I guess the thing I would say is what I'm realizing that the best way I can be here for Black women is to allow, make space, give room for them to be something other than the strong Black woman or the hoe without having to ask permission to do it. That they're allowed to be fully human. They're allowed to be angry without being told that they're just being an angry black woman. Because right now, the reality is, is that if you're not the strong black woman and you're not the whole black woman, then you're basically invisible. Mm-hmm. You get overlooked, right? So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's... it's <laughs> You know, it's it's unfortunate. And so then people wonder why. And I don't know all the story behind it all. But, like, remember how shocked everybody was when all of a sudden Serena was dating a white dude and eventually married him? Like, how much of that is the fact that she found a dude that just let her be a full human being? Yeah. Right? So, like, we need to get – we need to create space – where black women can do that without being shamed for it, where they can actually be fully human and experience and express all the different dimensions of what it means to be a human being other than those two caricatures and surround themselves with people who love them in their weakness, not just their strength. Amen. And even to add to that, I found it incredibly important to – not re- not go back and revise history to bo- put black women in their rightful places in history, mm-hmm. in places that they've been erased, um, because black women have been there through this whole journey, mm-hmm. building not just the black community, but you know, yeah, they just, building America. They've been doing more than just holding it down for the for the for the black brothers for their king to go out there and rule the world. They've been doing much more than that. <laughs> And so it, it, when I just think about what Brianna Taylor represents, it's just so much more than, you know, and people are like, well, she got, you know, the family got $12 million. So, okay, pro, pro-lifers, we're saying that that's the value that we're placing on human life now, $12 million versus having a conversation of why this shouldn't have happened in the first fucking place. Well, $12 million or not should be coming out of the police union's budget pocket, not the city. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I, I wrestle with that though, especially with the abolition movement, because what is the incentive of the public to take note of this, right? Is it that we collectively, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm always open to correction on the, on these matters, yeah. but when we talk about things like abolition of the police and, and, and transformation of the police, because I don't, I don't believe that they can be reformed at this state of how since mm-hmm. given nope. their history, it we need more. When we think about how the police get their power at, at the local levels, mm-hmm. even this need, there needs to be so many lawsuits paid out for these wrongful deaths, for the for these instances of police brutality that the, the police need to become more expensive and more of a liability than they yes. already are and what people don't realize 
right now that most most of city's budget already goes to the police. 46%, I think, was the number for Charlotte alone. 41.1. 40, 40, uh, but still, yeah. to your point, let's put it in raw numbers. It's like 1.1 million of the 2.4, billion of the $2.4 billion budget for the city. And we don't even know where all of that 1.1 billion goes. But then when you go out on a march and people are getting sprayed with chemical weapons that cause women to have unscheduled menstruation flow and weaponry that's banned in wartime. Look, bruh, walking back from one of the protests and seeing these dudes in straight up like tactical gear that I recognize from playing Call of Duty. And these were the police officers. But here's the thing. Most of these people don't care because they ain't never going to see the roll. The, the, they ain't never going to see the police roll up like that over here. Down in Matthews. Down in Ballantyne. Down in, so they ain't never going to see the police roll up like that. That's for the hood, homie. Because there's this, this notion of gang, like gangs and all this 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 hyper right. dangerous environment. The city's such a big scary place. Right. Which you've created the conditions to exist based on the policies no. that you've created. Choice, choice. You know, Thomas worked hard for my life and you know if they just made better choices fuck your choices <laughs> look I'm, all, I'm on my shit today he's being <laughs> so crossed up they still talking about how her boyfriend was a drug dealer oh i, I saw one right before i got in it like that that's probably where the this anger is coming from oh it's absolutely because, right it's just like they, they recommended oh if you want the facts of what really happened go listen to Candace fucking Owen. Oh, sh- don't say whose name we do not talk about. <laughs> we can even bleep that shit out because she just does not deserve <laughs> to be mentioned. <laughs> mentioned. Look, what does Corey say? The- she who will not be named. <laughs> but this is where people, this is where 50 plus percent of white people, white women, white men are getting their information from. Again, using the token black person. <laughs> Go listen to Cedric's podcast, Token Confession. <laughs> right? Plug, plug, plug. The, whiteness will always look for that token black person to point the finger and go, see this person. And see, here's the, here's the thing why some of them are mad at me. That's the role I'm supposed to fill. I'm supposed to be the one that just tells them ever so softly like a lover, you're not a racist. You're not the problem. They are. Yeah. That's, that's what some of them want. And again, a lot, a lot, a lot of them. Kudos, kudos to the ones who have always embraced my full humanity, even as other layers have been peeled back and revealed. Vocal minorities, like especially when you get them in the right spot, is right. all. It's so when we think about the spaces that we create and how we handle conflict, even in those spaces, I think that's always important because a vocal minority can 
can ruin the healing work that is happening in a space if if you allow it can he- ruin the healing work that's happening within ourselves mm, mm. Oh, say that right um and who we choose to to let in and to listen to and so there's this act of there is this resistance this protection that comes from recognizing and 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 making the resolve to say you will not have power or authority over my life right. because of what you, who you think that I'm supposed to be. Well, and I'll go even a step further. <laughs> so there's this dude, right? He runs this organization. I ain't going to name him. That on his website page, it says that he, he wants his organization to be the global leader in anti-racism. That is the words that is used. This and he's white, eh? Yeah, he's white. Which, of course. Honestly, I'm at the point. If you being anti-racist and resisting anti-blackness, I don't care what your assigned race is. You helping all of us, mm-hmm. and you saving me time and energy. I, 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 I have not got the time nor the energy to finagle over the race of the person who is doing effective truth telling i ain't got the time for it don't can't be bothered so mm. the fact that he's white yeah it's okay it's a fact but okay my main issue is you peddle more of the whataboutisms <laughs> and, and 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 racist nonsense through memes and then constantly questioning asking honest questions and, and you know in, engaging in civil discourse and dialogue with people who are out here actually literally in the streets doing real anti-racism work and you are pushing back on that constantly now there comes a time where you do that consistently not just with me but with various other people who we all have in common I'm going to come to one of two conclusions. Either you're really that stupid. I mean, really that stupid and, 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 and misinformed. Or you are a bad faith actor. Yeah. So when I call you on it and like just say, hey, this is the words that you're saying. I need you to understand that these things that you're saying and posting and doing don't align with what you say your stated mission is. And I'm willing to help you understand those things. And you say, mm-hmm. oh, thanks for da 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 And then you turn around and you do it again. And then you turn around and you do it again. And then you turn around and do it again. Either you're like your ability to comprehend is so slow and so inept that you're you're dumb or you're doing it on purpose you are a bad faith actor and you will throw out how martin luther king jr is the person that you model your stuff off of and his book is your favorite book and and then it's like you're saying things that like clearly if martin luther king was here today you would not support the things he's doing and you would be asking the same questions you asking us I would gently offer a third way in that as I think looking at the time and like we could keep talking about this stuff for hours. I Right. That this person, I think those two things can be true. And, and, and I want to add this as an addition, not, yeah. not necessarily. A, to me, that is a, a symptom of the broader problem of not having proximity 
an authentic proximity to blackness in so many ways. And, and those two words in conjunction, authentic and proximate, because when you're authentically proximate to, to a person, to blackness in, in this instance, especially you, in the words of Brian Stephen, that you have no choice but to be transformed by it. And so who, you know, for me, I, when I see those things happening, I'm like, who truly is in your inner circle speaking counsel and wisdom to you? And if you truly do have people close to you that are speaking this counsel and wisdom, that not just are, are your counselors, right, but that you are in deep relationship with, like, I, then I just have to agree with you, right? It, it, you're acting in, in such bad faith because you have the resources. And, and the reason why I made the faces that I do is that I'm still struggling with the fact that not only I personally had proximity to so many people mm. who do that crap mm. and what I would have thought was authentic proximity and yet they gonna roll with Candace Owens and what she says over and above somebody that literally baptized their kids yeah. it was their kids pastor oh this this desire for this intellectual objectivity <laughs> but I, you know I'm, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying why I struggle yeah. and I almost have like a triggering whenever I hear people say proximity I mean that's a lot to, I think for one that's a lot to reckon with too because especially as we think about like I think about that too it's like how could you be friends with me and then go back and say that and it's like wrestling I'm not only wrestling with that sense of betrayal mm -hmm. but sort of this this image dying of who I thought right these people often were and, and so I, I don't like I'm not mm -hmm. saying and, and maybe the way I phrase it is wrong but again it's truly just in addition of how we consider these lenses I, I suppose I don't I'm not, I don't want to take issue with you using the word yeah. proximity it's just one of those things like one I think way too much okay mm -hmm. I analyze these things way too much <laughs> yeah. just welcome to the club right so proximity let's be honest it's become one of these buzzwords and it has some philosophical and ideological merit. It should work. It should be enough. And all I am saying is do not underestimate the power of the dark side. Amen. Mm. Yes. I'll give this example. Let's take it outside the realm of race. Look at the kind of proximity that men have to women and still we are patriarchal and sexist and we can't see our way out of it. I saw, I, I saw it. I saw it for, I was like, the <laughs> little, he, he's, I was like, not the patriarchy. I see it. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Right. You're right. No, I, I, I take it back. I take it all back. Right. Yeah. So like, I'm talking today about how we watch Remember the Titans with Isla and it did not take her long at all. It took her one scene of seeing Denzel Washington to realize that that man was a really good actor, that there's something about him. And you know what my response and my wife's response was to Isla? Isla, well spotted, because Denzel Washington, along with Tom Hanks, 
is one of the greatest actors of the last 40 years. I've retold that story to other people three times. It took the fourth time telling it that I realized what I did. That even though cognitively I was thinking male, cisgender male actors, I said it in a way that erased women from the profession of acting, of film acting. Mm-hmm. And yo, yeah. you two can vouch for me because you two have been in community with me. Like, I'm not just like in proximity with women. Most every woman that knows me feels safe with me. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah, 100%. Sure. And I got work to do. And all the proximity yeah. I've had in my life, I still got work to do. Yeah. I think if you ever meet any any educator of any sort that can't own the fact that they're they still are going through this work like again run right <laughs> run <laughs> that's why i say that it takes more than proximity because again let's take it back to black white relations we act like white people didn't have proximity to black people for most of american history Mm. after slavery that they said we don't want them around and even then that was only in the north the north right they didn't need Jim Crow laws because it was functionally there without writing it into law and putting it in people's faces they did not want them anywhere near but in the south they didn't mind having them too near as long as they didn't move up as long as they weren't over them is why most of the black towns that got burned to the ground were in the south because those towns were representative that they were going too far up yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean oh proximity most of our history we've had proximity with one another most of it god that's such a good point ah and i think i think also that's why you can't take you know like a Brian Steven out of the context of there's the two other aspects that he adds to that. I think mm-hmm. that, that create a more holistic picture Yeah, because I think we can, you know, do the thing that I did and reduce it down to these simple sound bites. And at the end of the day, it still takes a, a, a commitment to putting down mm-hmm. the privilege to putting down and saying, I'm going to take an active part in dismantling right, right. Uh, my race, the racist ways that exist in me, the patriarchal ways that exist in me. Right. A daily commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, like it's, it's, it really, it's daily for the rest of your life because humanity's worth it. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Cause my, to end to kind of build on the point. Cause my computer's about to die too. So there's this guy that we're about to have on token confession. So this is totally his idea. He put this in my head. This was not my original thought. When Jesus comes across the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler says to him, teacher, how do I receive eternal life? What does he say? He says, give away all of your things, sell them, give them to the poor and come and follow me. And it says that he turned and walked away sad. Right now, I was always taught that the reason why he says because he don't want to let go of his stuff, he don't want to let go of his things. But if we really understand that text within the context of American theology and American history at the same time, 
we know that American theology was written in the backdrop and developed in the backdrop of these people rebelling against being subjugated. So was the issue really that the rich young ruler had to give up his stuff or that he had to be subjugated to being associated with, thus follow, a bastard carpenter from a backwoods town that was constantly bullied and picked on everywhere he went? Was the issue really giving up his wealth? Because we exist in a world, right, where even if you lose your wealth, if you know the right people, you can get it back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But he's about to follow a dude that is so broke, he has to get bankrolled by women. Oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. Say that. Preach that radical message. Yes. <laughs> so what really is the issue? Is it that they got to give up their stuff? Or is it that they got to subjugate themselves, that they got to they gotta go to the lowest caste? So we hope we kept you engaged to the very last second. Um, actually, Cedric's computer died. And when we were replaying it back, he said that that was a great place to end. So just wanted to jump on and let you know that if you wanted to be in relationship and learn from Cedric Moore... You can find him on Facebook, Cedric Lungdi, or on Twitter, So Says Said, S-O-S-A-Y-S-C-E-D. You can also catch some of his sermons um, for when he preaches, and we'll post those in the show notes. See you soon. Hope we gave you something to think about. And always, as always, being is becoming. Yo, that was our show. Thanks for listening to Permission to Be. Um, thank you to our guests. So if you want more information, head on over to permissiontobepodcast.com to check out the show notes. Get some more information on our guests that we post over there. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. If there's somebody that you want to see on this podcast telling their story, we also want to hear from you. So make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, Permission to Be Podcast, and we'll see you soon.